I'm Peter Hoff, and this is the Creative Sheep Podcast. Welcome to the Creative Sheep Podcast, the podcast where we talk to people who are good at what they do to inspire leaders to get better. Folks, my name is Jared Hogue, and I'm joined with Roman Johnson. What's up, everybody? It's great to be here. Roman, how are you on this uh, beautiful summery, I say beautiful, it's hot. Yeah, it's like a thousand degrees outside. It uh, is. I'm doing well, but uh, whenever I go outside, I melt along with everyone else, and it's the worst. I'm if, thinking about getting one of those uh, car shades, you know, like that the grandpas use, the, the, the reflective thing you put in the dashboard oh, that, yeah. you, that reflects the light. Yes. I'm thinking about getting one of those, and I've never had that thought cross my mind in my life. <laughs> so I don't know if I'm getting older or it's just so hot outside. Grandpa Roman. Yeah. Uh, it is. It is blisteringly hot. Like, if you don't live in Oklahoma... Don't, Man, it, don't come to no, live in right it's, now. It's real hot. Like, even the swimming pools, like, they're just not... Just swimming around in a big, warm bathtub. Yeah, just broth. You're swimming in broth. It's <laughs> it's quite gross, actually. Um, anyhow, uh, this, this is the podcast for leaders, and... Um, man, this is episode 33, Roman. That's right. And we do a lot more than talk about the weather. That's true. That's true. We, we typically interview some amazing people. In fact, our last, last episode was with Lee Cockrell, the former executive vice president of operations from Walt Disney World. Yeah, that was an awesome interview. If you haven't got a chance to check it out, go back and sift through the archives. You won't have to sift that long because it was the last episode. It literally was the last episode. Yeah. But hey, while you're there, give it a subscribe. Maybe leave a review, share it on social, whatever you feel like. Just, yeah, that would just go be awesome. Um, but we've got some amazing interviews out there for you and plenty more amazing ones to come. In fact, Roman, episode 34 is going to be with Onika McClellan. All right. Uh, she is the wife of Earl McClellan, and they are the pastors of Shoreline Church in Dallas um, and have an amazing women's ministry that's done some incredible things for their church. And we're going to be talking to her about that and what kind of role uh, the women's ministry has actually played in the growth and the stability of their church. It's an incredible conversation. I'm going to guess it's a big role. It is a big role. It, it, in fact, at times, I, I could be mistaken. I haven't listened to the interview in a while, but I want to say they've had as many people in the women's ministry as they've had in the church. Wow. Yeah. That is amazing. Yes. So pretty incredible uh, what they're doing there with their women's ministry. That's one to come. Brad Cooper from New Spring Church, uh, super pumped about his interview. It was an amazing conversation. Jordan Boyce is going to be on the show, yeah. another uh, New Englander uh, who uh, will be fresh off the Awakening Conference. And, uh, man, just super pumped about the lineup that we have coming and uh, really thankful for all of you for listening. Um, but today we've got a great uh, conversation for him, Roman. That's right, we do. We talked to Peter Haas, right? That is correct, of Substance Church okay. up in Min Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, he's a fairly young pastor. Uh, he's, a, so he's a part of ARC, uh, the Association of Related Churches, and has just done a bang-up job up in Minneapolis. Actually started the church at the University of Minnesota, um, uh -huh. and then it has just grown and grown and grown. It's an arts-driven church, and he's written a couple of books. His first book was called Pharisee-ectomy. Um, he Ooh. uses a lot of humor in his books, but it, it was a really good read. And then also his newest book is called Broken Escalators. Um, and it's actually, it, it's, it's a great book um, about, about, uh, about uh, how, God, uh, how God views us and how he's more concerned with our, our development than he is our destination. And uh, without giving too much away, yeah. I think we should just get to our conversation with Peter Haas. Well, Peter, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Absolutely. I love it. <laughs> well, hey, man, give us, a, give us a little backstory here. How did you get your start in ministry? 
You know, it, it's kind of funny because I'm kind of the last likely guy to have ever gotten into ministry, but I, I, um, I, I have kind of a strange conversion story that ended up leading me into ministry. Believe it or not, I actually I gave my life to Christ in a nightclub. Whoa. And uh, I I know it, it's it's kind of a strange place to have your conversion experience. Most people, you know, they have their conversion experience at an altar, or maybe they made a decision sitting in a church. But uh, for me, it was right in a nightclub. I I, uh, I used to be a, a rave EDM DJ. Actually, I'm still a rave EDM DJ. I still do it. So. Nice. But I, I would tour all over the place with my um, with my turntables and my record crates, and I would just I would DJ. And of course, at the time, I I really had no concept of God. In some ways, I I I, I really didn't want anything to do with God or Christians. I was probably pretty scary looking and, and, uh, and, you know, but I, I, what was funny is I, I knew a Christian who would constantly tell me, Peter, you know, you should ask God to reveal himself to you. And I always remember every time she would say it, I thought that is the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Like ask God <laughs> to reveal himself. You know what I mean? Like, why would I want to be any, like in my mind, you know what I mean? I thought, I thought church was just boring tradition or just, you know, uh, legalistic people. I, I just, and yet, you know, how life, is kind of designed to lead people towards God. I, I had a good friend die in a car accident. And then that same week, one of my, uh, my girlfriend, uh, who's now my wife, uh, she found her father's body right after he had committed suicide. Oh my gosh. And, uh, just a heavy, heavy moment in my life, two deaths of people that were just really close to me and two funerals. And I remember I had to DJ that week and I, I just, at the time, I was doing the classic, you know, downward spiral. Uh, just my life was getting more and more absorbed into drugs, and everything I dreamed I didn't want to do, uh, I was doing. And um, I remember all of a sudden, while I was DJing, hey, Peter, do what your friend said. Ask God to reveal himself to you. And I, I thought that's the weirdest thing, but I, I, I literally backed away from my turntables and prayed, God, if you exist, then you should be powerful enough to show me, you know, what what show me what religion is the right religion and give me a sign, show me a miracle, lightning bolts across the sky, spelling it out, Islam, Buddhism, none of the above. You know what I mean? I, I just was desperate because <laughs> yeah. I was so depressed in that moment. And I, I remember, so after I kind of stopped myself, I, I thought, uh, so I, I kind of finished this prayer and I didn't even know how to end it. I'm like, and done. And, uh, you know, I just, in the nightclub, I had no idea. And I, I remember stopping this prayer after praying God to reveal himself and thinking, I must really be depressed. I'm praying. And my next thought was, I need a smoke break. And so I handed, <laughs> I had, I'm just being honest. This is what I was thinking. And so I handed my, uh, I handed it off to my assistant who was going to continue the, the set while I walked out of the club to have a smoke. And I was, I just got to the bottom of the stairs and a guy came up to me and kind of tapped me on the arm and, and long and the short of it was, uh, the guy was like, I feel like I'm supposed to tell you that Jesus has a plan for your life and he wants you to follow him. And I freaked out because I just prayed the prayer Whoa. like 60 seconds earlier, 30 seconds earlier. Yeah. And all of a sudden, here's a dude in the nightclub saying, this is what you got to do. And so I I felt compelled, like, I have to do anything he says now. I prayed to God and now God showed up and now I got to... <laughs> I got to obey. And I, I was literally scared, but I, I, I'm like, tell me what I'm supposed to do. And, and he gave me the most awkward gospel presentation, <laughs> but that was it. I'm like, Let, let's do it. And so I literally sat down with him and repeated after him in the nightclub, an old school sinner's prayer. And that was it. I went to church with him the next day. And, um, and so what, what was kind of strange about my conversion story is because it was so bizarre, um, with, 
within the first year of me going to church, everywhere I'd go, people would hear about the story and, and they would be like, dude, you have to share that at our youth event, or you got to share that at our, um, it, all, it almost felt like from the day in day one, I was being dragged on the platforms. People wanted me to share the story. Yeah. And I, I kind of just got into speaking and ministry way sooner. I'm not even, I'm not even saying it was healthy, but I, I kind of was pulled onto platforms almost from day one. And so me getting into ministry, it felt like a logical um, step for me just to continue sharing. I can't even call it my story because it was God's story. He created it. And I just felt compelled to share it. And and before long, uh, next thing you know, I was being asked to do other things in churches. So that was it. That was how I got into ministry. Man, that's awesome. So the night in, in the nightclub when you stepped out to take the smoke break, what year was that? Do you remember? Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. It was September 18th, 1992. Oh, so wow. I was doing, I was spinning old school vinyl in those days. This was before digital decks. And, but that's when yeah, it was the best. That's when it was oh, the best. Oh, man. Nowadays, you can be a total poser DJ. You don't even have to be good. <laughs> you can just, you can blow chunks and still be like, uh, you know, stand behind the turntables and be, and look awesome. But Get that I, Serato out I of did my upgrade. face. I, yeah, I, have, I did buy a new set of digital turntables, yeah. so it's, it is fun to be able to do it. And I, I respect that. I respect that. But there's nothing like <laughs> the sound of true vinyl on a record player. I know. There's nothing right? like it. Yep, yep, absolutely. I, and the cool thing is my kids think I'm the coolest dad ever because I've got, like, endless vinyl. I've got crates of it. So it's Dude, that's so incredible. Cool. And, yeah. I, and I think I saw, just because I creep on you on Instagram, I think I saw, like, your <laughs> daughter just completed her first... Uh, yeah, I, I'm blanking on the, what it's called, but uh, yeah, well, she did her own. She's a progressive trance. There you DJ, go. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we're I'm actually producing a lot of progressive house EDM albums. You know, so we're just we're just doing we're I'm still headlong in it, man. I you can take the DJ out of a nightclub, but uh, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, he's now in a church. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so 1990, you said 1992 uh, is when yep. when you got when you got saved when you met Jesus, and then yep. it wasn't until 2004 though that you you actually planted Substance Church. Is that correct? Yep. Okay, that's correct. So yep. what? I, I no, go ahead. I ended up taking over a church in. I ended up becoming a youth pastor at a church that had uh, a lot of creatives. It was kind of a it was kind of a wannabe mega church in the middle of of Nowheresville, Wisconsin, for lack of a better expression, but a lot of really artistic people there. Um, uh, many of you guys may know even like Michael Gunger at the time, his dad was the pastor. And, mm. and, and so I ended up becoming the youth pastor there and it was kind of a fun place because, you know, a lot of artists and I was, I, I really was into the music element. And, and so um, I became the youth pastor there. A couple of years later, I, I took over the church and pastored there for about six years. Wow. And and then my wife and I realized, you know, we're, we're definitely called for big city urban environment. And so we transitioned the church. And then that's when we decided to plant substance in Minneapolis, St. Paul in 2004. So in some ways, I, I was logging. I got to cut my teeth um, at that church and they got to endure all of my, <laughs> my terrible you know, start in everything in ministry, but, uh, yeah, delightful people, though, delightful people. That's awesome, man. And, I, uh, I, this, this next question might be a, a faux pas, but I'm going to ask it anyway. How old are you now? 
I no, I'm 40 years old. Okay, so okay. Just turned the big four zero. Well, congrats to last... you. Congrats. Yeah, to you. thank yeah. you. Totally. Thank you. Um, so 2004, you started. So the church is now 12 years old. Uh, I'm really, yep. really good at math. Um, mm, and, come on. <laughs> and uh, you started it at the University of Minnesota. Is that correct? Yep, that's correct. Okay. And now, uh, I, I just saw you just open a brand new campus, I mean, literally just a few weeks ago at the time of this recording, um, mm-hmm. and beautiful campus from the pictures that I've seen. Uh, seriously, it just looks incredible. How many, how many campuses are you guys now? Okay, so we, we initially, we, we started out being a, a, a church that was really just primarily targeting college students and unchurched 20-somethings was kind of the goal. And part of the reason why we even picked Minneapolis is because it's one of the most youthful metropolitan cities in the United States. Oh, wow. Uh, 68, 68% of the three and a half million uh, people here are under 34. And so mm. it's just one big city full of 20-somethings that are well-educated and less than 1% go under 40 go to church. And so I, we, when we planted, part of the reason why we picked U of M St. The U of M is because we we just thought let's plant a church right in the middle of like 16 major universities and colleges, and just start proclaiming the gospel. Like let's just do something that they can relate to, and we it, it picked up momentum way quicker than we thought. So like when we 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 ended up this is kind of funny because we had so many unchurched college students. When we first broke 2,000 members, we only had about 80 people giving anything. And so we were the most broke, poorest megachurch you've ever seen, ever. I mean, and so just out of necessity, we had to, we had to think of all sorts of creative ways to go multi-site um, early. And so we built a a 300 seat TV studio and coffee shop right outside of downtown Minneapolis, and we would film our services there. And then um, we'd rent out big theaters. And so we, for a while, we had four campuses. We would do, um, we'd film at this coffee shop, and then I would preach live at, we did two services at a 1,300-seater, two at a 750-seater, two at a 650-seater, and then um, we finally thought, let's let's deal with the chaos, and, and let's consolidate into two larger campuses, and so now we have a uh, a campus in downtown Minneapolis, and then we just launched kind of our arena-style campus on the north suburbs of the Twin Cities. And so now we're back down to two, a lot simpler. And, and our goal is obviously to expand beyond that. But sure. uh, we definitely are, are glad to kind of have a home base for all of our media editing suites and, and all, the, all the, the, the production house elements that we've been dreaming of for our church. We finally have a, a 105,000 square foot warehouse in the northern suburbs. So it's, it's wow. definitely a fun season for for our whole church just this new building we finally got into uh you know got rid of a little bit of the chaos of portability so man that's incredible well you know i you're you're still you're 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 a young pastor who's done some amazing things already and and mm-hmm. uh one of the a couple you've written a couple of books now uh first mm-hmm. one was Pharisee ectomy which is a which is a great <laughs> read and then your latest yep. book broken escalators um, mm. and it, this book is just fascinating to me. And I, I think this applies really to anybody, but specifically to young leaders. Uh, mm. I, I know I'm, I'm 32, um, really, uh, for the first time in ministry. I mean, I've been, been in ministry since I was 15, but 
Um, mm-hmm. uh, for the first time, I mean, I've got a team now and I, I'm, I'm growing and, and that kind of thing and um, looking to never stop growing. But I just thought that so much of what you had to say here, because when you're young and in ministry and you're trying to make a name for yourself and, and get and not, not just about making a name for yourself, but you know what I mean, right. just looking to grow yeah. and, and if, you're, if you're driven at all, um, looking to take right. ground. And, and I just thought so much of what you had to say in this book was phenomenal and just applies so well really to any leader, but specifically to young leaders. And so I guess Good. first and foremost, yeah. what, really, what really inspired you to write this book? Well, you know, we have this church filled with young, hyper-talented millennials who all want to do creative things and who all want to take over the world. And, and the idealism here is absolutely contagious, but there's a, there's a, there's a danger in all that idealism. Uh, when people don't really understand how, how the real world works, or even more than that, if they don't fully understand how God promotes us and, and what God is thinking about when it comes to, you know, like, you know, most, most of the young people in our church, they, they want to take over the world by 30. You know what I'm saying? And they, or they, they want to take over the, they've got these huge dreams. I, you know, I want to, I want to have my, you know, be a, a lot of young creatives. I want to do my first feature film by the time I'm, and they have these timelines. And I, I noticed that many of those timelines are so out of sync with their character or out of sync with just, um, just reality. And I, I, I felt like, so I, I, I finally started getting into this half, there's, there's all these happiness researchers that are out there that, that the, the science of happiness. And I kept reading these books for, throughout a season. I kept reading them, reading them, reading them. And I found all this amazing research on, on, on happiness. And it was kind of changing the way that I even dreamed about my own life as a, as a pastor, kind of like you were saying, you know, you, you dream of, you have these huge dreams for your life, but yet, uh, and then I started comparing the happiness research with scripture and I kept finding these really profound insights that just changed the way I thought about everything. And so I thought, heck, let's throw it all into a comedy book and just help people kind of laugh their way into promotion. You know what I mean? That's awesome. That's so yeah. cool. And it, it is such a great read. And I mean, you can just tell from your personality that's going to shine through that book. Um, one thing, let me let me tag on this real quick. One of the things yeah, you just said yeah. a moment ago is you've got a lot of creatives in your church. And your your church, Substance Church, is... is uh, defined as, or maybe not defined as, but described as a, an yep. arts-oriented church. What exactly does that mean? Well, keep in mind, I, I, my whole background is music production, songwriting, and I, I'm obsessed with like film and you know video editing. And so that naturally, that's going to come out in our church. And sure. I, I keep thinking about like my daughters, they, they, they grow up watching YouTubers and and the really creative multimedia is dominating the world. And I really felt mm. like as a church, one of the first things we did when we planted our church was is we, we got all the elements of a video studio is I wanted to incubate artistry and creativity in the, in the church. And so, you know, really our, our, our whole goal is even with, you know, doing multi-site video venue, our whole dream has been to, um, do multi-site video venue that's like documentary filmmaking for half of the year. So we still have live preachers, but but that we just, we do other things like that. And so we're just trying to create an environment here where a lot of these young artists, heck, my daughter can edit really amazing stuff on her phone. Yeah. And I keep thinking, 
with with this multimedia generation, if we can continue to excel in those types of things, I think that we're going to continue to reach them. And especially when a, a church like ours, where we have 64% of the people that come to our church are still under 34. Wow. And so um, they just, they resonate with kind of the new way that we think about how to preach the gospel. And that's kind of, or, or even like the book, you know, I, I thought, I don't want to write just a spiritual growth book. I want to write a comedy book. Mm. I want it to, well, let's take over kind of an art form that uh, the church has not known what to do with. And and so I, I still have all the Bible in it. I still have, um, you know, all the interesting university research. But I thought, I want to put it into a comedy format. I just want to kind of repackage the gospel, the unchanging message, but repackage it in a way that is is different. If that means we have to write comedy books or do documentary film-style teaching in our church, then so be it. It's worth it. So, Man, that's awesome. Uh, and one, one thing I would wonder is being, being kind of on the other side of that now, you're, like you said, you're 40 Mm -hmm. now, uh, is Mm -hmm. this, did you feel like you lived this, uh, coming up, uh, building your church and that kind of thing? Well, you know, what was funny is, is I, so I've always been kind of a strange senior pastor. Like I I mentioned to you earlier, I've always felt like a multimedia pastor stuck in a senior pastor's body. Mm -hmm. And for lack of a better expression, and I, I mainly be, I love music, and I always wanted to incorporate. I learned how to move people with with spoken word and with preaching, but I, I really felt like I wanted to integrate music, and in some ways, film was kind of a logical format for doing it. And especially in our city, where you have so many people that are turned off for church, I thought, you know, really the the entrance, the on ramp to our church isn't, it isn't. Uh, our service anymore. It's, it's our website. It's our social media. It's, it's the, the videos that we do that get out there. And I realized that that's where evangelism needed to, needed to start with our church as we were planting it. And a lot of the young people in our church, it felt like everybody in our church was a graphic designer or video editor. (laughs) And so, you know what I mean? Like, and I thought, what can I do to actually just give them purpose and meaning? Or even in our church, we have so many DJs that we, you know, like, so we have a DJ in the foyer of every campus, you know, it's kind of one of our MOs. And we just, but we, but we just want to, we want to take artists who didn't really feel like they had ownership in church and say, hey, there's a place for you. There's a place for a DJ in a church. And we want you to know we're your church. And so it's kind of fun to see all of the strange creatives that come out of the woodwork saying, wow, this, this could be my place. I could use this for, for the Lord. Mm. So, man, that's incredible that you're creating that place because far too often, especially in this field, these people are getting pushed away from the church rather than being embraced by the church. And these are gifts given to them by God. Uh, and yeah. What an amazing, yeah, exactly. What an amazing uh, opportunity to, to get a hold of this and use it for the kingdom. That's, in, that's incredible. Um, but it's, it's extra fun, though, too, in, in our context because we can, get, because our church is so young. I feel like we don't have maybe some of the multi-generational obligations mm. that a lot of churches have. Mm. Even musically, we could do something really bizarre. Um, you know, I think about the time, like, well, even for our Christmas services, we had we, we had a dubstep DJ and a yodeler, to, you know, like, <laughs> and we thought, let's integrate the two. And, you know, our people were like, oh, that's interesting. And that's good. They just floated it. It was yeah. like no big deal. But yeah. I, I, in some ways, I feel like we're able to experiment a little bit more because we have such a youthful group. And, uh, and so in some ways it's really a fun place for me to pastor because I don't feel the same constraints that maybe a lot of pastors would feel. Totally. 
Totally. Yeah. So tell us the the kind of the concept of what what is a broken escalator. <laughs> totally. You know, I what, what's funny is is uh, broken escalators was kind of a metaphor for how a lot of people feel. Uh, you know, we all have these dreams and we all want to get to the next level. We all have whatever that is, whatever the next level is for you. But I think a lot of times it feels like we're stuck on a broken escalator while all of our friends are zooming up to their dreams. You know what I'm saying? I, oh, yeah. I talk to young couples all the time who they desperately want to get pregnant and they can't. And yet, you know, they've got that friend Fertile Myrtle who just cranked out 30 <laughs> babies. And you're just like, what? Or, or like you're so desperate for your dream. And then your dorky idiot friend suddenly gets the promotion of the lifetime, the one that you've been waiting for. And you're like, you know, I, I, a lot of people, they just they they sulk and they start thinking life isn't fair. Why does so-and-so get to do that? And I don't. When in reality, there's a, God actually, for many of us, has intentionally broken our escalators until he can get a hold of us, until, until we can acknowledge kind of a bigger plan that he's trying to do in our lives. God will actually slow promotion in our lives until we understand that. And so really, the, the whole book is all the things that God does to intentionally slow our lives until we're focused on the right things. And then once we make that switch... So stop praying for promotion and start praying for promotability. It's kind of the thesis of the book is reorienting yourself from promotion to promotability, from growth to growability, to Mm. all these types of things. Stop praying for a spouse and start praying for the character worthy of a spouse. Stop praying for a job. Start praying for the, the character and the skills, the work ethic, the integrity, the connection with God that is necessary to support the weight of that dream. I know there's a great distance between us right now, but I am waving a hanky in the air right now. This is <laughs> this is some good stuff right here. Uh, well, especially well, there's, especially when you get into like our church, you know, I, there's all there, there's these myths of promotion that I think we all have. Like we all know that money can't buy us happiness, but um, I I I realized that just through the happiness research, ten percent of happiness comes from circumstantial things. Only ten percent. If you add up everything from how much money you make to the type of job you have to where you live. Do you live with palm trees or do you live in the frozen north? Do you live, you know, where you live, um, your car, your house, all of those things, you add them all up. They only affect happiness by a variance of about 10%, according to happiness research. Wow. And in fact, actually people, you know, people who make more than 70 grand a year generally tend to be more angry and less happy than people who make less. So, you know, like there's these counterintuitive things that came out of the research. And, and, and so when I started, I thought, wow, if, if, if happiness, if circumstantial things only affect our happiness by a variance of 10%, then why are most of our prayer lives dominated by praying for circumstantial things? You know what I mean? Like people are like when I people come up to me as a pastor and they're like, and I'm like, hey, can I pray for something? It's always, you know, there's always something in our circumstances that we're wanting God to tweak. Like maybe it's our Mm. income level, or maybe it's our our boss, or maybe it's our you know our spouse. There's always something that's out there. When the happiness research actually shows that happiness isn't a circumstantial problem; it's a spiritual problem. And so, kind of coming to terms with well. If, if only 10% of happiness is circumstantial, why are we so obsessed? And that, that in and of itself is the symptom that we're totally out of sync with God, is how much we're praying for circumstantial things. It is the key indicator of whether or not we're even ready for promotion. 
because it, it shows that our orientation is off, that we don't even understand what creates happiness. God is happiness. Our soul finds rest in God alone, Psalm 62.1. And, and so in some ways, I, I wrote the book to unpack 10 of the biggest myths that I see people pining after, Christians pining after. And so then I kind of give a, a one-two punch with, here's the research, here's the Bible, and and here's some humor to help you laugh your way into it. You're not alone. You know what I mean? Man, that's so good. One thing that you said just a moment ago, and I want to unpack this just a little bit further, but you said to pray for promotability more so than praying for promotion. Yep. Why is this so important? Well, because your people are character. I'll, I'll say it this way. Let me, let me back up and say Ecclesiastes 6 says that, that God gives a man happiness, but does not, it gives him all these circumstantial things. God can give everybody all these circumstantial things, but he does not enable him to enjoy them. And I, when, when I first read that, I thought, wow, that's interesting, that God can actually bless us with everything we pray for, but, but enjoyment operates independently of circumstances, and it's a gift from God. And so it begs the question, well, why would God not enable us to enjoy our blessings? Why would God slip off our enjoyment switch? Mm. And, and really, the, the Bible seems to indicate that it, it, God doesn't do it because He's mean. He does it because if He didn't, we would start to worship those things. Like a lot of people, they worship promotion. They worship some circumstantial thing, some situation in their head. And, and, and God, until He's first in our lives, and until we've got the character to sustain that dream, he knows it's kind of like you would never, like my son always wants candy at the grocery store. I'm not going to give him candy every single time he asks for it because why? I love him. And he's not, he's not brushing his teeth quite enough to really sustain all that candy. I think God is looking at us and we're praying these prayers, these circumstantial prayers. And God's up in heaven saying, Hey, listen, trust me, you do not want that. Like, uh, there, there were years in my life where I wanted to write a book, and I couldn't get any book writing opportunities to save my life. And boy, am I glad I didn't, because I would have said so many stupid things and done so many dumb things. It just would have amplified. Opportunity doesn't change my character. It amplifies and reveals character. And that's why if we focus more on character and intimacy with God, I think sometimes God will finally be like, finally, this guy gets it. This girl gets it. They're finally ready. You know, the Bible says we pray to live a life worthy of the calling that we've received. So many people are praying for a calling, when in reality, we just need to live a life worthy of that calling, and God will just add it into our lives at the proper time. I love what you said there, that opportunity doesn't change your character. It magnifies and reveals it. Uh, yep. It's it's so true. I, I've heard the analogy before of a bridge being built, and if there's cracks in the bridge— you may not see them, but as soon as all the traffic gets on there and starts to put the stress on the bridge, that's when it really reveals the the, the cracks or the leaks and, and things of that nature. And it's so true with our character as well. It's uh, true. It's true. It's kind of like winning the lottery, you know, like after that last Powerball winner, mm-hmm. you know, everybody was talking about, oh, wouldn't it be great? What would you do? And And research, get this, this is crazy, but research actually shows that winning the lottery can be the worst thing that could ever happen to you because... Mm-hmm. Uh, research shows your statistical odds of divorce skyrocket, your odds of being murdered skyrocket, your odds of being kidnapped skyrocket, your odds of depression skyrocket, your odds of feeling suicidal skyrockets. 
I mean, like literally, if you made a list of every bad thing you could ever have happen to you or a friend, they increase for lottery winners. Ironically, winning the lottery is the worst thing you could ever you could ever think of. I mean, and so like in my book, I call it the pot of gold myth. It's this idea that somehow there's we always have these lotteries in our heads that we think if I could just get that, then I'll be happy. Not realizing, no. It's not going to change your character or solve your character, solve your discontentment. It's going to amplify your discontentment. It's going to reveal how bankrupt that that illusion was. Because in the end, happiness isn't a circumstantial problem. It's a spiritual problem. Mm. So things like that. It just it'll change the way you pray once you read that. That's so good. And I love I love what you also said, kind of in that same vein, though. That you said this in the book: God won't promote you based on your potential character, but based mm-hmm. on your present character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, well, even in my own life, I, you know, I, what was funny is, is I, I stopped praying for church growth a long time ago. Mm. And I, you know, like I, for pastors, that's kind of a weird thing because, but part of the reason is because Jesus didn't say to pray for that. He, he actually said uh, to pray for harvest workers for mm. the growth. So you're, you're praying for leaders, but then it's also about uh, the, you see this throughout uh, the Apostle Paul, praying for that character, praying for the purity of heart, those types of things. And so I'm always, I'm always praying, God, keep my motives pure, keep my heart pure, um, help. You know what I mean? The internal stuff, because ultimately, that's the stuff that will support the weight of the dreams. God already has a plan of overwhelming success for everyone. He's already. You know, Ephesians 2.10, he's created us in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. He's already prepared amazing good works in advance for us. The question is, is are we, do we even have the character to sustain those good works? Mm. And so that, that's kind of the idea, is, is once we reorient ourselves on this idea that God, God wants to build more than just our dreams, he wants to build us. And the more we allow God to build us, and, and deal with those types of character issues, the sooner we can get to those dreams. But there's an order, there's a process to it. Mm. You also point out in the book that being anointed doesn't make you ready. I love, I love that. It just, it's based off the scripture, the gift of God is without repentance. God places a gift inside of you, <laughs> totally. something, something that you are going to excel at. I look at somebody, for me, this, my analogy for this one is always uh, Eminem. The guy is just yeah. unbelievably talented. He's just using it in the wrong way right now. Totally. Well, a lot of, I've noticed a lot of young people in our church, they, well, I think just in life in general, you'll see that sometimes the most talented people aren't the most popular, or they don't get the most, you know, the the, the most talented bands don't always get the most airplay, or the most talented, you know, like the the smartest politicians are not going to get to the presidency. Come Mm. on, somebody. You know what I mean? Like, I I just, there's, there's a disparity and yeah, so I call it the talent myth, and it's this this false belief that somehow talent is talent alone is what qualifies us for promotion. And you you look all throughout the Bible, there's God God promotes the heart over talent any day of the week. Even even I was just thinking about um, King David and his older brother Eliab was the one who looked the like the leader. He's mm. the, he was the good looking tall leader like brother and yet God passed him by and and he he found this dude in a sheep field who had just worshiped God. And I, I 
I think about that a lot because, you know, even in my own life, I, I, I want to acknowledge the fact that I'm not talented enough to do what I do. And then in the end, I need a, I need a business partner. I, and I need a business partner named God who can open up doors of opportunity that I can't even open up. And he'll open those up because of my character, not because of my talent. There's, I know a million talented people that, that aren't ready for it. And myself is included in that, which is why I just stopped worrying about promotion and just worry about my, my character. Man, that's really good. Uh, mm. And you actually talk about in the book, there's five pillars of promotability. Uh, mm-hmm. let, let's run through these real quick. First one is you've got is obsess over your own character issues, not the issues of others. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, well, you think about King David, like he had a myth, like there, I, I know so many young people, they're constantly blaming their issues on other people. My coworkers sabotage me or they're, or they're, I, I talked to, we have so many young bands and uh, artists in our church who are trying to get record deals and they're always talking about the evil industry and, <laughs> and uh, like, you know, everybody's just like, like the system is designed to keep us down. And I, I, when I read my Bible, there is no system on yeah. earth that can stand in the way of God's promotability, like mm. promotion on our lives. You got to say that again. It, you got to say that again. There, there's no system that can stand in the way of God's promotion. I call it in my book, I call it the Goliath myth. This idea mm. that a human being can somehow stand in the way of our promotion. We, we like to believe that. We think that way. But in reality... Uh, and and you'd think David of all people. I mean, this guy had more enemies than anybody. It wasn't just Saul and Goliath. It was David's own dad was, in some ways, trying to be an enemy to his calling. And I mean, you could go through a long list of people from Shimmy to Ahithophel. I mean, there's a thousand stories of all people who could have been bitter at the world and could have constantly pointed the finger. It would have been David, and yet. He was obsessed with his own character. Even when he's running shoeless away from Absalom during the mm-hmm. rebellion, he's like, you know, when his own his own assistant Abishai was like, you know, like the the problem is Shimmy. The problem is is Absalom. And David's like, no, 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 no. It's me. It's me. God has to deal with my own heart. He was obsessed with his own character, and I I love that because you can't change other people, but you can change yourself. And um, and that's that's why I, it's 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 a healthier focus. Don't obsess over other people's issues. Obsess over your own. Otherwise, you'll spend your entire life trying to, you know, play the victim or or point a finger. When in reality, that gets you nowhere. That'll stop you in your tracks right there. Uh, man, that's some good stuff. Next up, you've got let God defend you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let like I, I think about even uh, how many times I have. Uh, I, I've I've had a dream and it feels like somebody will do something to screw it up or you know somebody will say something mean. I I when I wrote my first book I had no idea how many hate bloggers there were out there, and I literally had no idea. And you know I had a guy devote an entire podcast against the cult leader Peter Haas, and I kept thinking I didn't even say that much radical stuff. I kept thinking. Uh, and, and at first, I remember feeling almost a little victimized by it, like, man, there are so many haters out there. It's just like people chill out. And yet I started feeling more and more victimized. And yet uh, I realized that really the greatest mark of our character is how well we react to other people's brokenness. And if we can just mm. stay life-giving when other people are life-sucking, 
um, God comes to our defense. I, it's kind of like when Jesus was being betrayed by Judas. You have Peter jumping out, pulling out his sword, ready to fight. And Jesus said, put your sword away. Don't you realize that at any given moment I could call on my heavenly father and he would give me 12 legions of angels? And you think about 12 legions, if you, if you do the math, that's 72,000 angels. Jesus is saying, don't you realize at any given moment I could have 72,000 angels here? And if you think about one angel in the Old Testament putting to death 140,000-some people, uh, you know, and then you think 72,000 angels, uh, Jesus is like, Peter, do you realize? Stop flailing around like a powerless victim. Like, I, I could take to you, my Heavenly Father, any second, and he'll take care of this. And I, I try to think that way whenever I get, like, a mean, you know, like whenever I find an, uh, an Internet troll or just, you know, somebody will leave our church over something small, or there's there's always something because as leaders, you're always making tough decisions, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know, uh, there's always somebody who's upset about something, and I I have to be able to shake it off and say, okay, God is going to defend my reputation. It's not even mine to I don't even I can't even control my reputation. It's God's, and ultimately, I'm going to let Him do what He needs to do, and I'm just going to keep my focus on staying innocent, staying life giving, staying healthy praying for people and those types of things. And I'm telling you, it just, it restores everything. It just makes me feel full of joy. Callie, so, man, I, I just, yeah. I suck as a human. Uh, I, I <laughs> <laughs> uh, we all do. That's why we got a savior. I, amen to know? that. Amen to that. Uh, next up here, consider that you might be wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Over the years, I, there's just been so many scenarios where I, I had this internal narrative and because I wasn't able to stop and listen to people enough, I, I didn't even I didn't even realize that a lot of my philosophy or theology was was nothing more than a wounded overreaction to something in my past. Mm. And I, uh, you know, really, you think about it, we're all pendulum swinging towards something. And I, uh, you know, we, we get into these fights with people not realizing, hey, when we stand before the Lord, that we're going to have a whole different perspective. And I, I keep even, you know, it's funny, like I used to be against video venue churches, or I used to be against mega churches until the Lord forced me into being a pastor of one. Mm. Or, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like God has forced me into a situation to humble me and change my mind so many times that, um, you know, it, over the years, I, I've, I've just now stopped. I, I'm way more uh, likely just to stop and say, okay, um, I might be wrong. You might. I, I. The words come out of my mouth way more frequently than they used to. Yeah, you could be right. You could be right. And uh, I, mm. in some ways, I'm. It's something that I'm practicing, and I'm aspiring towards. I'm not saying I'm always there, but I think if we could do that, sometimes we might actually, you know, grow a lot faster than we currently are growing. Mm. This next one's a, a a tough one. Assume God is working promotions even through your perceived demotions. Assume God is working our promotions, even through our perceived emotions. Exactly. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I felt betrayed by somebody when in real reality God was delivering me. And I, like in 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 my book Broken Escalators, I, I share the story of uh, my wife's great grandparents had tickets for the Titanic, but they showed up late, and so because they showed up late, everything ended up falling apart for them, and and they they, they thought they missed their dreamboat. Their dreamboat was sailing away, and 
and uh, you know they probably had a good fight on the dock. We should have gotten up sooner. Why why didn't you take a left instead of a right? And whatever that was that got them there, because it was very expensive to have to switch boats at that point, and yet they did it. And they didn't they didn't realize that their dream boat was the Titanic. It was a cold, frozen death in the North Atlantic, mm. and. I, in some ways, it was kind of a great metaphor because it took them a while before they even found out that the Titanic had sunk. But your your current delay just might be your current deliverance. Your current devastation, your current demotion just might be your current deliverance. And that's why we just don't think like God thinks or see what God sees. And because of that, we, we get our hearts so revved up for what promotion is going to look like or the timeline that we don't realize that in the end, God knows us better than we know us. And he knows our dreams better than his dreams for us are better than our dreams for ourselves. And at at some point when we're going through the ups and downs, just ride the roller coaster and have fun and don't overanalyze everything. Just Mm. continue that surrender to God and that trust in him. Because a lot, I can't tell you how many times, I've had a situation where my dream boat was the Titanic. Even even our building, this big arena building that we were moving into before this, we were uh, we were trying to buy this other property, and everything fell through, and it cost us a lot of money. And I was so depressed; I was all weepy because my dream property fell through. Well, it turned out that property had like toxic soil. Oh wow! Our church would have been on the hook for unlimited lawsuits. In fact. I didn't even know it, but there was a class action lawsuit being drafted up against that same property at that very time. And I keep thinking, we don't know what makes us happy in the end. We don't even know what, <laughs> what our promotions are going to look like. In the end, we either trust God or we don't. We either spend all of our energy blaming people and being mad at people who we perceive can somehow stand in the way. But in the end, it's, it's all about God, and we either trust Him or we don't. So true. And and Peter, I know you've got to go. uh, So last one here, and then we'll get you out of here. Remember, Mm -hmm. God will make certain everyone is tested and accountable. Yes, God will make certain everyone is tested and accountable. One of the things that I I noticed about the David narratives is it felt like so many people got away with hurting him. And there's this one guy named Shimmy who literally got to hurt David on his lowest day ever, on his lowest day ever, right after his own wife is getting raped by his son, and he's running shoeless into the wilderness. This dude named Shinny started whipping rocks at him. He used it as an opportune moment to kick him when he was down. And I, 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 that made me mad. It made me mad because I, it felt like David never got justice in so many circumstances, and yet my flaw was I didn't continue reading. I didn't read long enough. I didn't realize that Shimmy didn't get what was coming until the next book. It was a book later. Mm. And I, I realized that, that God, because God is just, we all reap what we sow. And I, I, over the years, there's been so many people who have just done mean things to me or said mean things to me or whatever. And I, I've just, in the end, I've had to learn to, to say, hey, listen, justice belongs to the Lord, and He's going to work it perfectly. I don't have to waste my time responding to critics or reacting to anybody um, who is out there just trying to make my life miserable. I, in the end, I, I have to learn how to trust God. And I keep thinking about Second Thessalonians 1, 6, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled. 
We don't even have to lift our hands. We, we, he's just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. Yeah. That's what. That's God considers that a part of His character, and so in the end, let's. That's why focus on our own character because we don't need to muddle up our own character in the process of defending ourselves, which is unfortunately what a lot of people do. Wow. So, Peter, where can people pick up the book? Uh, pretty much anywhere. Um, Barnes and Noble, mainly online, of course, Amazon. Uh, you name it. So it's pretty much everywhere books are sold. Folks, make sure to go pick up a copy of Broken Escalators. You will definitely laugh your way through it, and it's just a phenomenal read. Uh, we just Thank scratched you. the surface on it today. And, and and Peter, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, uh, what's the best way to go about that? Yeah, just come to Well, I'm on Twitter. I'm on all social media, Peter Haas, one H-A-A-S, number one. Um, I'm on um, social media, or just come to our website, substancechurch.com. Uh, and uh, just we have all sorts of contact info there, substancechurch.com. Peter, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. You bet. Bless you, Jared. Thank you much. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If you If you can... Hit the subscribe button. If you haven't already, it's going to make sure you are going to get every single episode that we release. It's going to download to your phone. And if you would do us a favor and leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to this podcast. And one more thing. I'm going to ask one more thing. If you could share this. Share this with your friends, people you talk to at work, or just put it on social media. That would be huge. It would do us a huge favor. And it would help us get in front of more leaders like yourself. Is that right, Jared? That is absolutely correct. Thanks, y'all, for listening. And we will see you in two weeks. Farewell.